You're listening to Culture Camp. Tune in each week to hear from an amazing lineup of athletes, CEOs, founders, and more who have created winning cultures in their organization. Each will share the secrets to creating a culture in your business that will lead you to thrive. Are you ready? Here's your host, Jason Haugen. All right, welcome back to another episode of Culture Camp. I got a really good one for you today. I got the co-founder of True Clinic and the co-founder and CEO of Patient Genie, uh, software companies in the healthcare world. Yeah. Dude, yeah. thank you for being on here. Of course. Really yeah. appreciate it. And it's uh, it's been cool kind of getting to know you um, the last little bit. Uh, you know, we you're you're pretty much related to me, I feel like, through- <laughs> By uh, association, Yeah, right? by association with uh, um, my in-laws and- you know, your yeah. sister, right? yeah, yeah, your sister. sister. Yeah. yeah. They literally share a driveway. Yeah. And I don't know how you get any more close than that, <laughs> but, uh, close. um, man, I, I got, I've, I've learned a lot about you. Um, you know, when I first met you, I th- it was kind of, you know, here and there, maybe a birthday party. And then yeah. like, you kind of, I, I, I wouldn't say you showed up at the wedding, but you were at the wedding. Yeah. yeah and I'm we like, man, like, anyway. yeah, you're just like interesting. Um, you know, and I've heard, I've heard stories. I've heard really the, the really cool things that you've done, but I don't think I ever realized the scope of what you did. Because sure. I've, I've talked to my father-in-law, Mike, and he's like, "Dude, I, I had no idea." And I'm yeah. like, "Really?" And it wasn't until that meeting when we were in when we were in Vegas, we were doing a Zoom meeting with you, and you, yeah. you said all the things you did, and I'm like, "Whoa!" You know, when you uh, you exited a company for there was a huge, huge, huge number. So um, what I want to get into is, I guess, uh, you know, what you know, I, I guess your story, um, you know, how you came up. Um, you know, through and, you know, became yeah. a business owner, a co-founder of a big tech company, how, you know, how you got into tech. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. And um, just kind of go from there. Yeah, cool. No, I appreciate the opportunity always. Right. Yeah, anytime. So, yeah. So uh, let's see. I started my career, uh, you know, in tech, uh, kind of started in that space, have an English degree, but that was just my fastest way out of school. You know, after kind of being pre-law. And pre-law right. Where did you go to school at? At Weber. Nice. Yeah. I transferred down to the U. Uh, and then, uh, went on my mission, came home from my mission, took a job in Ogden. And then I was like, Oh, I'm not going to the U right. right. I don't want to drive all the way down there. So, right. Yeah. I graduated from Weber and, uh, went to the counselors and I was like, what's my fastest way out of school? Cause I'm traveling full time. I just got married for the first time. You know, I'm having kids. So I was like, I gotta, I can't go to school full time. So they're like, ah, get an English degree. <laughs> like, cool. I'm an English major then. So yeah, I graduated a semester later. That's awesome. So yeah, got stuck in tech, uh, spent a bunch of years working for Intel Really, uh, and then uh, transitioned from there into United Health Group. Kind of wanted to go into the healthcare space, and uh, so spent some time with United Health Group for about six years. Uh, got recruited into Microsoft out of United. Okay, and so they were starting a healthcare initiative at Microsoft, and uh, it was called Health Vault. This is I don't know, like two thousand eight, something like that. Okay, went over to Microsoft. Uh, we had uh, a couple of different products over there. Spent about six years at Microsoft doing tech, uh, and kind of got to a point where I was getting burned out on kind of big fortune 50 companies. Right. Um, you know, they have their own kind of culture. Uh, and I thought, you know, I kind of want to do something on my own or do kind of smaller size companies. Right. So I took, uh, took a couple of roles, uh, helped a New Zealand company kind of build their North American sales organization and scale in the U S we had some products that we had acquired while we were at Microsoft. We divested in those and spun some of those off and created a joint venture with GE and created, uh, took the other half of those assets and sold them to this company in New Zealand. And I went with those assets. So we helped them kind of build their North American space Wow, for a while. And then uh, did another startup in Boston called Patient Ping, uh, you know, kind of helped them drive their biz dev and corp dev initiatives. Right. And then at about the same time, I'd done some work Previously with Governor Levitt, Secretary Levitt, when he was at HHS um, in the federal government under the Bush administration. And after he left there, he came and created a boutique healthcare consulting firm here. And so I was talking to him and a couple of his advisors. uh, This is probably like 2014-ish, something like that. Uh, And I was still working for Microsoft. We were looking for partners to uh, launch the Surface. We were launching the Surface tablet. We were looking for healthcare kind of partners to work with on that. Yeah, And so he said, hey, there's this telehealth company that's here locally in town. You should talk to their CEO, their founder. So we ended up sitting next to a table at a conference that they hosted, ended up hitting it off. And he's like, hey, I could really use somebody with your background and your contacts. Would you come in as an advisory capacity? So I sat as an advisor for a little while, transitioned that into a full-time role. Um, we kind of re- restructured the company, became a co-founder, 
and switched out of selling into the government space and went after the private sector. Okay. So we did that in about 2016. And then in 2017, we had got accepted into an incubator down in Miami, a healthcare specific incubator called Startup Bootcamp. Okay. Uh, there was us and about 13 other companies inside of that cohort. One of those companies was a company based in New York that had a really cool kind of patient intake application. We had really great tech and a lot of customers, but really struggled on kind of building a tech team. And they had really excelled at building a really strong tech team, but didn't have a lot of customers. So we thought, hey, you know, this is a great kind of opportunity to smash these two companies together and make something better. Right. right? And that's kind of my background, M&A, Corp Dev. That's kind of my space anyway, in tech. Right. And so... We took both of those assets, merged those together, created kind of a new true clinic, which is what we went to market with. Ended up being kind of awarded the best in class consumer telehealth platform in 2017. Wow. We got acquired in 2018 by InTouch Health, which was the best in class kind of enterprise telehealth company, right? So they sold robots and neuro uh, telestroke type um, services into the space. Okay. Uh, met with their executive team found some really kind of strong synergies between what we were doing on a direct-to-consumer front and they were doing on an enterprise front and thought, how do we gain more momentum in the market by just taking these two companies that kind of are the same but aren't really serving the same markets and bringing that together? Because the request we were getting from all the kind of constituents in the healthcare sector was, we want to do telehealth, but we don't know what that means, right? And this is right. kind of pre-pandemic, right? Right. So we're, you know, fighting legislative issues and we're fighting reimbursement issues. And we're trying to kind of get adoption for telehealth in general. And then in uh, 2018, they came to us and said, hey, look, let's smash these together. Let's do this. Let's go after this together. So we merged those companies together. Um, I went uh, and worked for them for a couple of years in Santa Barbara. Okay. And then uh, we sold that combined company. We quadrupled the size of the company at that point. We sold that to Teladoc, which is a publicly traded telehealth company in New York. Wow, man, that that's awesome. And I and I heard that uh that true that that sell was a pretty big, <clears throat> you know, um, we don't have to get the details, but yeah. north of a B maybe. Yeah, um, it was a nice uh, it was a nice deal. You know, we were fortunate to be in the right space at the right time. It had grown. You know the. The pandemic was just barely kind of, we now, we announced that acquisition at JPM, which is a big healthcare conference right? Uh, in January of 2020. Okay. So yeah, right before, that. right before the pandemic hit, yeah. um, you know, fortunately we had negotiated that deal kind of really well to capitalize on anything if it had gone North. Uh, and then the pandemic actually, you know, it was a, it was kind of a surreal moment after right. years of like seven, eight years of fighting, you know, legislation and everything else to have the president be like, Hey, everybody's going to use telehealth tomorrow. And having to completely pivot a company, you know, where we had kind of strategic roadmaps that were built and have to pivot that entire company to to scale, right? right. And go from four thousand visits a month to four million visits a month. That's crazy. Like two months. Yeah. Dude, that that's insane. Do you do you uh like like what was that like so you know, I guess how my question would be how f much did that propel you? Yeah, I you mean, know, was it was it like a, you know, was was four million a month year, five year goal, 10 year goal, <laughs> More like, like a 20 year goal. Really? Yeah, like it was out there. Like <laughs> everybody wants it until right. you have it. Right? right. And then you're then you're in scramble mode trying to we, we had a development team of 80 developers in Belarus. Uh, you know, we had a development team in Argentina. We were just scrambling to just right. kind of build faster and deploy faster. Yeah, sometimes like with, with, when companies like too much growth or too big of growth can be actually worse. Devastating. Right. Yeah. I mean that, that like with, with our company, like we're always telling everybody like, Hey, we don't want to be the biggest, we want to be the best. And that's going to be through slow, strong, steady growth. And you know, as you get better, obviously you can acquire faster, mm -hmm. but you know, when you're not expecting it and then, you know, you're like, you're saying in 60 days, all of a sudden you're, you know, a hundred, you know, a hundred thousand times your, your size, you're like, yeah. Whoa, this is, this is insane. That, that's pretty wild, man, to be able to, to go through that. But you know, a good, a good, transition time for you, you know, yeah. to make that, that sale pretty much. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, kind of ride through COVID and, and, you know, now you, now you're developed patient genie. Um, what is, cause I, I know you're, you're in the early stages of patient genie. Yep. Um, you know, I don't know what you can and cannot tell. Cause you know, I've signed some, some, some NDAs with all that stuff. So <laughs> I'll, I'll let you, um, you know, kind of talk about that, but it yeah. is really one of the coolest ideas I've ever ever seen cool yeah i mean we're we're open we're in beta right our direct-to-consumer products in the market 
Uh, we started that company about a year and a half ago, uh, spent a bunch of time in research and development, went back to some of the investors we had, uh, you know, used for a true clinic uh, and a handful of new investors that we brought in. Still fundraising, always fundraising. Right. right? Yeah, it's tech. Yeah, it's tech. <laughs> We're always fundraising. Right. And the market's been a little bit kludgy the last kind of 12 months or so. Right. right. And so everybody's in a little bit of a scramble mode trying to get money raised and and build a product. I'm fortunate, you know, I've got some great co-founders in that organization. Uh, one of the co-founders was at True Clinic with me. It helped build that product. Uh, and, okay. you know, it's just a, a phenomenal kind of consumer product right. innovator. And right. So fortunate to, to have Alex and, and his team, um, development team on that piece. But yeah, we, uh, we looked at the market and uh, after we exited in, out of the telehealth space, we wanted to kind of go back into the healthcare sector and solve a, a significant issue that all of us face, right? So, right. you know, you, you move to a new region, you uh, your provider retires, you get diagnosed with something, you don't feel good, you don't know who to go to, right? Right. And today, the modus for that is you go to Google or you search or uh, you ask a neighbor, or a Facebook friend for a doctor recommendation. Well, that's not right. necessarily always the best doctor for you. That's just maybe their best doctor, the best option that they chose. Right. And so what we did is we went back and looked at how people choose the providers that they go to and tried to build a analytical way to look at that and build kind of the match.com for healthcare, if you will. Right. right? And, and what we recognized was it wasn't something that you could do through an app or anything like that. We had to go back to the genesis of where people actually are searching for care, where I don't feel good or I need a new doctor. And that's Google today. Right. So what we did is we actually, well, Google or Bing or any other search engine, right? For sure. uh, and so what we did is we built a brand new search engine. So similar to like a DuckDuckGo, we privatized search in that specific arena, specific for healthcare, and then have patents around how we match consumer inputs to a list of providers. We went back and kind of looked at all 5 million providers in the U.S. And that's everything, you know, that's chiropractic, dentist medical providers, RNs, PNs, et cetera. Right. And uh, extrapolated that forward so that we can actually build a profile about those providers and look at their actual data of what they do in practice, right? So I'm an active guy. You know, I've blown my shoulder up a few times. It's surgically repaired a few times. Right. Right. There's some screws holding it all together. <laughs> so I'm always on the lookout for like the best orthopedic surgeon that's a shoulder guy right. or girl, right? And so today, if I go to Humana to search... Humana's website for an orthopedic surgeon, I don't get that level of detail. I get all their orthopedic surgeons, and then I've got to call them and say, hey, do you do shoulders or do you do hips or do you do knees? Uh, and so what we've done is take a look at what they actually do in practice by what they bill for. So we can then kind of match it to the provider that says, hey, I'm looking for a shoulder surgeon in Utah that's, you know, uh, board certified and, you know, treats patients like me, et cetera. Right. And then we can generate that list of providers. And then if in the event there's no availability at those providers, because we have that algorithmic approach of looking at how the provider actually looks and what they do in practice, we can show you other similar providers that are like that provider that may not, or that may have availability for you to see. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Cause it's, it's tough. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're, people are always looking for this and looking for that, or, you know, there's a level of anxiety going to even a, a family doctor or going to, to someone that you, you don't know. I mean, it's yeah. just a, cause I mean, I've done, I've done that multiple times. Yeah. Um, you know, that, uh, you just Google them or you go on your, your insurance page, you know, yeah. and then you type in and it just has a list of them that are, you know, and it has you sort, you know, five miles to 50 yeah. miles from you and um, pick the closest person and yeah. go to them. And they're not really rated. You have no idea what they do. You have no idea. I mean, it, it, it's kind of a, a scary, you know, not, not, I wouldn't say scary, yeah. but like there's a level of anxiety that if you're going to get the good care. And then with me, I'm always like, am I going to piss the money away? Like <laughs> right. I go there and I'm like, you're an idiot. I don't really <laughs> right. want to talk to you. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, like, it's just, it's, it's interesting. I, we've, uh, you know, I have multiple friends that, uh, like have actually talked to me about this, which I'm sure is going to be cool for you guys to, to, to help that need is for like therapists. Yep. Nobody, I mean, at first off, it's really taboo to ask your neighbor or your yeah. friend to be like, Hey, I know you go to therapy. Look, right. Unless they're like open about it, which people are more open about it right now. Um, but you're literally just going to a website, Googling, you know, therapy near me. And there is a billion different kind of therapists. Yeah. I feel like like everything and really trying to find that person. You know, I've had multiple friends that have kind of talked to me about it and been like, who's, you know, how, this is a problem. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't even know what that would be or 
you know, marriage counseling, well, is it specific to this and specific to that? I mean, there's yeah. so many things. So to be able to provide that service where it's very detailed, where you feel comfortable, yeah, right? Where you go in there, you know, you, it's kind of laying down an expectation. Can You know, you, I know that you guys are kind of changing the, the healthcare game and it's really, really cool to watch. Yeah, I mean, mental health's a big thing, a big push for me anyway, right? right. So, you know, not only with Patient Genie, I have my family foundation that we focus on mental health gap grants, wow. um, you know, and so that's a big kind of, thing that I'm interested in anyway. We'll continue to layer in mental health kind of tests. So we have a, an organization we're working with right now, hopefully soon that we can button off that actually listens to your voice inflection and can pick up depression and anxiety inside of your voice inflection. Really? And so we'll use that as part of our AI and our application to say, hey, look, you know, you mentioned that you don't feel good. You have a, you have an upset stomach or whatever the case might be. But from looking at and listening to your voice inflection, that might be kind of mental health related, not necessarily medically related. Right. And so let's maybe steer down a medical, a mental health path in addition to a physical health path as a, uh, as a, a course of action. Right. right. And, you know, back, you know, even just a few years ago, I mean, that was just so taboo. Like you, right. even, even doctors wouldn't be like, they, I mean, they were very hesitant in diagnosing anything yeah. or they're throwing medication every person's way, just writing scripts like it's going yeah. out of style. Right. And like, right. Oh, Hey, I, I honestly just want, you know, X and they're like, okay, I'll just give it to you. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, it's kind of a kind of crazy, but that, that level of care can just improve when people are like, Oh, Hey, like, I, you know, then there's something out there that I can kind of talk to or kind of, you yeah. know, and, and they can hear it in my voice that, Hey, we recommend this. I mean, that that's incredible. Yeah. They've got a really cool tech. Right. And, and so that's really kind of what we're building with patient genie is, I don't want to go build another telehealth company. Right. right? That was a good time, but I'm over it. I, I'll let the telehealth companies do that. Right? right. I don't want to build a patient navigation company. I don't want to build a care navigation company. I don't want to build a, you know, secure messaging company. Right. There's really great companies that are already doing that. So right. what we're doing with patient genius saying, Hey, look, we'll take the front end of that relationship. So where the consumer is and, and the, and the interest that they have, and we'll connect it to all this back office tech that's already been built inside of the system. Right. And uh, and so when you think about an ecosystem, that's really the play that we're building with Patient Genie by leveraging the consumer and that kind of inner, that that piece. For sure. I, I know that you went to college for, you know, an English, you know, major. Yeah. And then you've kind of been bounced around all, all over the tech world and in, in, yeah. in big tech, like Fortune 50 tech and, and even bigger. Um, where did your, your healthcare passion come from? You know, was there an event in your life that you're like, I really want to go into healthcare or was it just a conversation with a good opportunity? Yeah, no, a little bit of both. So I had left Intel, you know, I was doing some work for them on the tech side, the tech bubble had burst in like 2000, uh, you know, it was time to transition. And I thought, you know, I want to stay in tech, but I want to be in true tech. I want to like, I want to be in an industry. Right. And so I looked at the different industries and health was one that, you know, I recognized significant need for tech. So I thought, oh, that's got good job security. That's got some longevity. Right. To oh, it, yeah. Right? I mean, people are always yeah. needing health, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like grocery stores, right? right. It's not going to go away. Right. And so uh, so I looked for strong health tech companies. And this is back, I don't even know, 2002, 2003 or something like that. Okay. And, uh, and that led me down the path of working for United, right? Which is a big kind of health conglomerate, but they also had a tech company. It was called Ingenix at the time. Right. Um, you know, and, uh, and so I spent a bunch of time at Ingenix, uh, and then we kind of built, um, through some acquisitions and some other kind of activities, a, a bigger company called Optum, which is a functioning operational company inside of United. Um, uh, and so, you know, it's exciting to kind of have taken that health path because that's obviously steered my entire career, Right. And the startups that I've built is have really kind of leveraged off of the relationships that I've built over those years. For sure. Um, you know, you noticed, or you mentioned before, and that uh, when you're working for those for, Fortune 50 companies, they didn't uh, love the culture, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and you're saying it was Fortune 50 culture. Um, let's get into that. You know, why, yeah. what was the, I, I guess, because there's always going to be pros, there's always going to be cons. You know, what, what were the pros and cons? Yeah, I mean, I would say the big pro is security, right? Like uh, you've got security if you're working for those big companies. Maybe. Right. right. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we've I mean, seen them a couple come and go. Yeah, it's a rating and ranking world, right? Right. Like, uh, but I, I think the nice part about those organizations is it gives you a nice kind of view into the industry, into the market. You've got some security. You've got some... Um, you know, when I was at Microsoft, there wasn't a door that was closed to us, right? If we wanted right. to talk to Mayo Clinic, we could talk to Mayo Clinic. If we wanted to talk to Intermountain, we could talk to Intermountain. 
And so it was nice from that perspective because doors were always open because of the brand that right. you carry. They're pretty much unlimited reach. Yeah. Yeah. And the cons of that are that, you know, nobody really takes you seriously because you're such a big organization. It's so hard to move because of the bureaucracy of those organizations that it's just hard to kind of move them and pivot and be nimble. Right. And sometimes, especially in health, even though it's a slow moving industry, you have to have the ability to be nimble and adapt to what customers are looking for. Oh, and we felt that in the pandemic, right? right? Oh, like for the sure. entire industry turned on its head. The entire planet turned on its head, right? right? You think about the evolution of DoorDash, you think about the evolution of uh, Instacart, you think about all those organizations that just exploded during COVID. For sure. Right, right place, right time, right vision, right? Yeah. And so... Yeah being able to shift out of that mindset of being in a large corporate culture into a, you know, the startup culture is very uh, intense. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, one day you're at the high of the mountain and the next day you're at the low of the valley. Right. Right. Especially when you're bootstrapping it. Yeah. 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 You don't know if you're going to pay employees next week or pay yourselves. Right. Right. And then you close a deal and you're like, yeah, we're doing awesome. And then 30 days later, you're like, oh, we're not doing that awesome. Like, yeah. I don't know if everybody's getting paid today. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's a challenge. It's a struggle. And you're you're constantly, like I said, the hat's always off, right? You're always running around trying to raise money, just kind of keep the lights on. Right. Um, you know, but you've got a good idea and, you know, you, you just try to execute as, as expeditiously as you can. And uh, you align yourself with the best partners and the best people. For sure. What, what is the biggest uh, cash sucker in a tech tech company? Because I know a, lo a lot of tech companies, especially here in Lehigh, that have gone up and gone down and yeah. gone up and gone down. <laughs> and, you know, uh, uh, you know, so, but but uh, like some people are like, oh, it's just so easy. Like there's no yeah. cost of it's software. It's just there's no, you know, so there's, there's a lot of confusion, I guess. And, you know, if people looking on the outside, you know, yeah. outside looking in. Everything costs, right? right? Everything has a cost. Time has a cost. Right. And that I think time is the biggest thing uh, that uh, that is a cost suck for for small companies. Right. I, right. I continually beat the drum of like, don't get distracted by shiny objects. Right. Like know your mission, execute your mission, get it done. Right. And if you can incorporate partners that are on the same trajectory as you, uh, all the better. But, right. you know, what it what ends up or what tends to happen is you get distracted either by a customer or by a partner or by an activity a shiny object that takes you away from your mission, detracts you, costs you a bunch of time, costs you a bunch of resources. And, uh, and in this world, there's just not a lot of forgiveness for that. Right. How do you find good partners? Cause you, I mean, you had, you know, a partner in true clinic and you became yep. a, a, well, you became a co-founder in the restructure of true clinic. And yep. then you're, you know, you're founder and CEO of patient genie. And I know that you have a, a good team around you. How do you find good partners? Uh, experience. Uh, yeah, I think I have a pretty decent read on people. Okay. Um, you know, I've been fortunate, I mean, not always, but I've been fortunate to be surrounded by really good, talented people. Right. And I think when you kind of find those good, talented people, you just kind of keep them in your back pocket. For sure. What are you, what is the most valuable thing um, or the, you know, what, what a partner can bring? I think it depends on what exactly you want to accomplish. Right. So for me, uh, you know, with co-founders that I have in current organization, it's balance. Right. So right. I have my skill set. It's very focused on one side, right? I'm a business and a strategy guy. That's my background. That's where I fit. I'm not a product guy. I'm not a tech guy. I don't understand most of the things that Alex comes up with or how it works, right? It <laughs> right. drives him crazy because I'm like, can't we build this? And he's like, well, I'll take this and this and this. And I'm like, yeah, but can we build it, right? right. And he's like, yeah, but it's going to cost this much to build. And then we make the decisions we have to make. Right. So I think for me, it's about balancing your weaknesses, uh, and those are the best partners that I've found are the people that balance your weaknesses the best. For sure. Do you have those conversations with, with him or her, or, you know, or I guess, you know, do you have conversations with Alex that says like, Hey, I'm not very good at this. Or, you know, before the partnership happens, yeah. do you say, you know, here's kind of what I'm really good at. Here's what you're really good at. Let's, you know, not, you know, cause a, a lot yeah. of partners, there's a lot of like meshing together, a lot of fighting, you yeah. know, and, and, you know, yeah, a lot of people would say, you know, do not have a partner. Like everything <laughs> right, you do, like right. partners suck. Um, but I've met a lot of people that are like, oh, I want partners. Yeah. Like I hate being on my own. I hate, you know, and I'm like, you know, I, I could kind of see both ways and, and I could honestly argue both ways. Yeah. Um, but how do you, how do you set that like line? I mean, I know there's a lot of gray. Yeah. Yeah. But how do you set that line where it's like, okay, you do you, I do me. And there's no like resentment for anything. Uh, I, I think it's an exercise in cadence, right? I think you get to a point where there's a lot of times now, Alex and I have worked together for long enough. 
that I don't, I don't have to focus a lot on the things that I trust him with. I, right. I think it really just comes down to kind of trust, right? right? And knowing kind of what their strengths are and what your strengths are and, and letting the other person have the autonomy and the, and the trust and the respect to do what they're going to do. I think most people, at least in, you know, I've managed large organizations. I've, you know, been completely on my own and had full autonomy. Right. I think most people want to do well at work. Right. As a core, a core, you know, functioning principle. For sure. And if you give them the environment to do that, they will. For sure. Um, then I, I, I think I can agree more. Do you have any, have you ever had any, like problems or a struggle with giving up. Oh yeah. Or, you know, I'm a work control and, freak. And sure. okay. <laughs> yeah. What are some things that have you overcame? Have you know, have you overcame that? And how have you overcame that? Uh, I mean, I'm continually like, we'll go okay. back to the mental health thing, right? right. Yeah, I'm continually <laughs> trying to get over that. Right. I've got right. a the good therapist. It took me like five to find the one I like. Right? right. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a continual struggle. It's something, you know, because I am that personality. Right. right? I'm like, I, I don't need help. I'll just do it by myself. I got this, you know, and so for me, it's been a continual kind of like ebb and flow of my own kind of balancing of myself of saying, hey, I, I trust this person to do what I need them to do. Right. And then give them the leash to, to do that. What has the been the, you know, three year journey, you know, of, of, of self-learning, you yeah, know, yeah. In, in, you know, what, uh, what's been the biggest thing that's helped you or that you've learned? Um, to control the controllables. Okay. Yeah. I think that's my biggest, like all my friends, my family will be like, Oh, there's that line again. Right. right. The very much it is what it is. You know, it just control what you can control. Right. No, I love that because there's so much time spent on stuff that you can't control. Yeah. You know, I, I see it in teams all the time and in our team, I'm like, you know, we can't, we can't really control the market. Yeah. You know, we can do our best advertising. We can do our best, you know, at, at branding and doing all that, but, but we can't really control it. Yeah. What we can control is our four walls and how we treat each other, how we operate our bottom line, yep. you know, whether the sales ebb and flow, our bottom line should ebb and flow with it. If yeah. we're, you know, operating correctly, obviously, you know, if, if sales just crash, you know, that month's going to suck because it's, it's hard to do that quickly. And you were just talking about being nimble. Yeah. Um, you know, that's why we've chosen to have, you know, smaller dealership locations instead of massive ones, because those massive ones are harder to, to turn a ship, right? Yeah. You got a hundred, hundred employees on, in one area. Well, yeah, it, it, you know, you could say it's easy to manage them and it, it's big, but then, you know, something happens with all your sales. You get, first off, you have all that property. And second, then you have a hundred employees. Now you're yeah. trying to lay it, you know, it's just, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, you, we, I like to be, you know, surgic like and very nimble. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's true. People just get caught up on stuff that I'm like, Hey, like, just why are we talking about that? Or we're trying right. to fix problems they don't have yet. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many meetings I've been in where I'm like, <laughs> do, wait, we don't have this problem yet. Like, no, then why are we, why are we together? Yeah. Like, it's just, it, it's crazy. Um, yeah, I don't function well in that space. It's funny if we go back and talk to my co-founder at True Clinic, you know, we'll we'll joke around. We're still, you know, really good friends. Right. And, uh, you know, one of the areas that we would butt heads is, is he would hypothesize on me. Well, what if this happens? Well, what if this happens? Well, what if this happens? I'm like, oh, I can't control any of that, man. Right. Let's just wait till something happens. Then we'll, we'll deal with it when it happens. Right. And so it was always like a you know, we'd get frustrated with each other because he was such a futurist and I'm such a pragmatic. Right. Right. So, yeah, yeah, no, I, I can relate to that because I'm like, well, what if it does? <laughs> but like, I honestly don't know because I never had that problem. So I guess we'll wait until we see. I mean, it's yeah. just like, there, there's a lot of other things that you can, you can move on. And, and again, it's just personalities, right? Like, you know, I have a partner in the Haugen RV group and, and we're very alike. We're very different personalities and we're good at, you know, th you know, he's really good at, at some things. I'm really good at some things. I'm not really good at some things and he's not good at some things. Yeah. Right. You know, I know the RV industry a lot more than he does, but he knows, you know, a lot of business stuff and a lot of relationships and real estate and different things like that. And he's one of the best human beings in the world. Um, but you know, we, we have to kind of call each other and, and, and talk about stuff like that and we'll agree to disagree. But at the end of the yeah. day, like the most important thing with the partnership is just being aligned and on the same page. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's hard, especially when you have a partner, if you're afraid to have those conversations, like I was on a podcast yesterday that we were talking about how to have hard conversations. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with me, it's easy to say, Hey, this is going to be a hard conversation. But at the end of this conversation, the point of this conversation is to be aligned. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, we, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm not trying to make you upset, but you know, and then we can go in like, I didn't like how you talked to that person. Didn't like how you talked to me. Yeah. You know, I'm not mad. You know, just 
but, uh, but it's hard because people are really afraid to do that, especially in partnerships because, you know, and, and I've noticed partnerships that are like a majority minority, the minority is always in fear, you know, yeah. and, and I don't know that like, you know, and, and oftentimes it doesn't matter, but I've been, you know, consulting with a couple of people that are minority and they just want to kiss the majority's butt all day long because, right. you know, most operating agreements is they can execute a buyout at any moment. Mm -hmm. And so that's a very weird dynamic going on. And yeah. some I've seen that are great. Like, you know, I've had, you know, minority partners in different things and I'm a minority partner in different things and I could, I'm, I'm in no fear. And yeah. sometimes the best thing that they could do is buy me out. And I'm like, <laughs> I would just want my money back on some things. Yeah. Um, but being able to recognize, um, you know, your, your weaknesses, I think is huge. Yeah. And it's kind of funny. So are you a believer in the kind of stick with what you're good at and just keep honing in and, and working at what you're good at? Or are you trying to learn like everything that you possibly can in, in, in so much detail that you're just brain overload or do you kind of stick in your lane? I, I think it's kind of the middle. I, I would say in the past I've been very stick in my lane. And then I went through a little bit of a genesis of, uh, you know, oh, I want to learn everything. You know, I want to manage and do everything on my autonomous self. Right. right. I think now it's a lot more balanced than that, right? I recognize where my strengths are at and I don't have to hone those necessarily as much. I kind of have hit my cadence or hit my kind of running at that. Um, but my weaknesses are definitely pieces where I draw a lot more than I used to off of other people and right. I really watch them and I see how they kind of tackle some of the things that I would do differently. Right. And I try to adapt or learn from that rather than, you know, my, my past self would have been like, why are you doing it that way? That's weird. Right. You know? And now I'm like, kind of like, oh, okay, I kind of see how that approach would work as opposed to my, you know, bullish, like, you know, just come in there and like blow the world up and start over. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and it's like, if you're going to give the autonomy, then give them the autonomy. You know, right. I, I tell yeah. people that all the time. It's yeah. like, uh, you know, we have a rating system in our company of, you know, L1 through L5, and we have every employee rated on cultural and uh, their KRAs. And, you know, L1 is a micromanage. L5 is pretty much, yeah. hey, bro, how's it going? How's the family? You doing good? Yeah, you need anything? All right, see ya. Yep. I'll, I'll talk to you in a week or two or three or a month. Yeah. Is that mine? Oh, that is my phone. I don't know who's calling me. <laughs> but uh, sorry about that. No, no worries. You may I go turn it off. Yeah, it came through on the VIP line there. I guess so. Good thing about editing. <laughs> right. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, we were talking about staying in your lane. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, it, it's interesting when or uh, you're micromanaging people, and so people people don't like to be micromanaged. I, I you know, but some people need it. But we like let them know, like, hey, like we're gonna get you through the scale to L5, right? Yeah. And people that are L5 don't need to be micromanaged, but they need to be known that they love, they're, they're like loved. Because usually your highest performers are your easiest to leave because they can go somewhere else and get a really good paying job because they know they're a high performer. It's kind of the middle of the pack that's more of the job secure and it's the big, it's the, uh, you know, the old ones that you, they might work, might not, and yeah. are just trying to get through life, right? Yep. And so if we're, we're doing meetings and you know, we're, I'm like, Hey, like you're L one and L five, like, don't stop doing that. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're right. You're right. Like I got to stop doing that. And it's funny because you know, we want to be held like, there's one thing about being held accountable, but then, you know, there's the one thing about micromanaging people. And when you're, when you know that you micromanage yeah. and that you're in there all the time, I, I think it's, it's a good thing, but it's funny because there's so many people I meet with that, you know, I kind of talk about this rating system and they're like, Oh man, like I never really, notice or yeah. I'm like, yeah, like when you're in a meeting and someone says something in a different department and you're like, and they're like, Oh, I'll take care of it. And you're like, no, I'll take care of it. Yeah. Just let them do their thing or tell them, Hey, you don't have autonomy. Yeah. Right. I mean, set that expectation. I think it's really important, but you know, it's, it's been, it's been interesting meeting with people all the time. Yeah. It creates such an anxious environment, right? Yeah. Both for you as the leader and for them as the employee. For sure. Uh, you know, and I, I don't love that. Right. Like I, I, you know, yeah, there's times when you have to manage people. There's times when you have to manage people out, unfortunately. Right. Right. And you, and you kind of hope that there's a better fit for them somewhere else in that, yeah. in that case. We call it redeploying them in the workforce. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's a nice spin. Yeah. yeah. Redeploying them out. Yeah. Know? I just manage them out. Right. right. Yeah. I like good that luck, too. Good luck. Yeah. See you on the other side. Right. But uh, I think there's a, there's a leadership capability that exists in kind of managing people up 
right? And right. not managing people out. For sure. Yeah. So how, what are some things that you've been able to do in, uh, you know, your companies and even, you know, prior tech companies that you've created a culture and a good culture and a good team yeah. around you? No, I think, you know, for me, it's about balance, right? I think that you need to humanize yourself a little bit as a leader. Uh, oftentimes, especially early in my career, I got caught kind of just being a leader and I'm like, Hey, you know, I, I got this right. I'm right. 24 years old. I know what I'm doing, you know, like get out of my way. Right. And I didn't have a clue. Right. And definitely burned some bridges and, you know, created some dysfunction. I right. Mean, you're young. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 And the hubris of, of that age. Right. Right. And so, uh, you know, I look back at those and I'm like, Oh, you know, yeah, I really messed that up. But I think for me, those learning experiences to then be able to kind of start to structure teams and create balance in those teams. You know, one of the things I really enjoy doing with my teams as I build is kind of creating that human element, right? Like, right. let's get out of here on a Friday, right? Let's go play football in the park, right? Or let's I love go, that. Let's go do something together. And it's not like the, the hokey kind of let's all have a team building. Right. It was just more so um, just to kind of say, hey, you know, work's important. We all need to work. But, you know. At the end of the day, what's more important is why are you here, right? right. Are you here for your family? Are you here for yourself? Are you just here to pay your bills? You know, why are you here? And really understanding the dynamic about each person on your team and being able to incorporate something that, that relates to why they're at work, right? right? Why it's important for them. I mean, for me, it's my kids, right? That's the only reason I do what I do is to protect them in the future. Right. And so... You know, at the end of the day, that's why I do the companies that I do. I focus on healthcare because I know it. But at the end of the day, I just want to build a better system for them. I, I love that. And it, it, it's important. Like there's a really good book out there called Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Yeah. And, you know, if, they, if you give people a reason, which is which is funny because you're unique. I mean, I'm sure you know that because a lot of people don't, a, a lot of, you know, team leaders or managers or owners or CEOs, whatever, they don't really care and pay attention to that. They might have a lot of self-development and yeah. my why and this and that, but they don't really, you know, put it down to anybody else. But giving them a reason, like a mission statement, a vision statement of like why we're coming to work and, you know, where we're going and the values that we have. I mean, yeah. it's very important because people are on the same page, right? But if you're not giving people a good reason to come to work other than a paycheck, because what I've really found out, and I'm sure, you know, you can attest to this, is I found out more pe people care about more than money and they care about their quality of life and they care about their their culture and how they're treated at work more than they could care about money because you have you have a lot of people that you're, you know, you're paying, you know, good or bad or whatever, or people that are like, Oh, I, Hey, I don't want to really take a, you know, you don't got to pay me right now because I just want to be a part of your team. Yeah. And it's like, really, why? And it's like, because I just, I just really hear good things about you. And like, we can, we can figure that out later. We'll just, you know, I just want to be on your team. And I'm like, okay. Or people taking pay cuts. Cause you know, there's yeah. some situ situations where they're, you know, leaving huge, huge organizations, massive organizations, yeah. you know, got a guy that one of the biggest companies in the world, camping world, you know, the biggest RV company in the world, camping world, you know, four or $5 billion in sales a year. Yeah. And they're leaving, you know, coming to me saying, Hey, I want a job. And I'm like, dude, I can't pay you. I mean, you're paid off of a region that's doing, you know, a billion dollars. Like yeah. I, I can't, I just don't have the revenue. Right. Like, no, 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 don't worry. Like we'll, we'll figure that out later because you know, you, I heard you treat people as people. And like, I love that you just said, like, I bring in the human element, like you treat them like humans. Yeah. Cause there's a, uh, you know, people that I know um, that don't believe in that at all. I mean, yeah. they, they hundred percent are just, we believe in people are revenue, people are replaceable, don't really care. Um, which I'm sure like with you in the, in the, in the tech world, it's really hard to replace people, good quality people. And it's expensive. I yeah. mean, it, it costs the cost on the other side is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. The, the disruption costs, right. right of replacing individuals and team members is, you know, it, it's, it's huge. Right. right. And so, yeah, for me, uh, you know, that's a hyper focus of just, you know, understanding why people are there. Because you're right. At the end of the day, money's just money. It comes, it goes, it flows. Right. right? Um, finding out that people are bought into your mission, bought into your vision, and are willing to grow with you. Uh, that's probably been the one big epiphany in the startup world is finding people that kind of buy in. Right. And they're willing to grow. Knowing that that causes, in some cases, you know, economic frightenings. Um, right. You know, as you're as you're in the growth stage, because, right. you know, you, you don't know. Right. Right. And I think that uh, finding that mentality of people that are willing to kind of take that risk uh, and uh, and grow with you are the are the ones that, you know, 
will stick through. How do you find people when you're, when you're doing a startup? Cause there's, there's a, you know, I, I get asked a lot Like people message me or whatever, email me and say, Hey, like, I have a really hard time finding good people, quality people, yeah. you know, and maybe they're, maybe you're just a bad interview and you don't know the questions, but maybe it's down to that. Yeah. I think it's a little both. I think for me, you know, we, we utilize, you know, some pretty um, top shelf kind of recruitment agents, a lot of referrals and, you know, fortunately I've been in the industry for a long time. And so I kind of know a lot of people and I've got some referrals from a handful of people that have said, Hey, you know, this guy's solid and they'll vouch for him. That's awesome. Uh, and so, you know, we're at a point now where we're, we're, we're at that level, but right. you know, early on, yeah, we struggled. I mean, we cycled through a number of people. I'm trying to think back, you know, back on the true clinic days, I think we went through probably a 70% turnover rate. Really? because you know we were looking for something specific and just couldn't find what we were looking for right yeah we we actually just uh engaged in a like a recruiting company i guess you yep. can call them that, that specializes in this specific position that we were filling and it, it's interesting i mean it's so much different than just putting an ad on indeed yeah. and like you get the the people that you get is way different and how they recruit them is way different and yeah. you know they kind of pre-interview them you know, they kind of sometimes cold call them and say, hey, you know, I saw on, you know, LinkedIn that you're this, you know, this position. Are you looking yeah. for anything different? And, you know, it's kind of it's interesting. But but we because we tried it the kind of the other way or different ways from referrals and different things. It just didn't really jive yeah. real well. And um, then we started using this this agency from a good friend of mine that I've known almost my whole life um, that she she works there and and good friends with the owners there. And they uh, it, it's incredible. But they know how important it is to find good people. Yeah. And in this position is one of the most important positions in the company. And we really need a really, really good person, you know, and I've had a level of anxiety to the point that I haven't really wanted to, to hire this position. Yeah. It's a vacant position that hasn't been filled in, you know, probably six, six months in our company that I'm like, I, I don't know what to do because it's so <laughs> important, but it's so hard to find, find that person. So, yeah. and, and it could be detrimental to the company. And, and, you know, you're paying him a big salary and you're like, man, I just don't know how it's going to work. But, you know, they have definitely taken that level of uh, anxiety off, but it's because they pre-interview him about our culture. Yeah. So that's kind of what they've been doing is, like, you know, this is Jason's values. This is Ryan's values. This is yeah. what he, what they believe in. This is the company's vision. This is where we're going. This is, you know, it's all. And so they kind of prerequisite that. And it, it's helped out so much because we have a vision and we, because we're, you know, and a lot of people, we've had some people that are scared of the growth. Yeah. They're like, well, like, you know, they all, you know, especially, you know, being a, a, a finance person, this, you know, they know that when you're in the growth stages, when you're the least profitable, so there's yeah. the most risk. Right. Yep. And so finding those people that are willing to jump off that cliff with you is, is, is hard, but it's, it's awesome because when you're on the other side or, you know, when you're, when you're jumping off the cliff, diving in the water and you come up and you're laughing at each other, I mean, it, it's, it's a, yeah. it's a magical thing. And it just, bond, I think it bonds people in a level of, of a relationship that, you know, you can't really get anywhere else. Yeah, no, you're right. And I mean, to follow on the theme of the podcast, right? Like culture is key, right? Absolutely key with every company I've been with. I can point to why it didn't work or did work with certain employees because they just want a cultural fit inside the organization. Right. So creating a culture that people want to be associated with and involved with is as important as finding the right people to fit into that culture. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is, which is, you know, crazy that people don't think that way because they don't like to be treated. I don't, I don't think there's a human being on this planet that likes to be treated poorly. Yeah. But I'm like, why do, why do they treat people poorly? You know, just because it's a business, like, like I, I understand, like you don't have to be their best friend and you I mean, you're not riding dirt bikes with them every single weekend and you know, this and that and the other, but like you can have a, a, a real relationship with them, still get the best out of them yeah. because we, I mean, not that you have to be their best friend, but like through our best friends, usually we get the most out of our best friends, right? They're willing to do whatever, for us and sometimes yeah and that's true yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah but like and for me like it's easy like even even family work i, mean, I work with a lot of my family it's yeah. easy for me to have those hard conversations yeah. <laughs> which is funny because it's it um, a lot of people are the opposite it's hard yeah. to have those conversations but when you get too close to them like i'm i'm kind of you know I, i'm i'm aware of when i get it, when i feel like i'm a little bit too close of a person but i'm not gonna be like hey i'm getting too close to you. i'm not gonna be your friend right. anymore right i mean there's a way to do things and you can still be 
you know, their, their person they call if they're in trouble, you know, their person that they call, you know, if, if something happens or, you know, you have to have that level of trust where they know that you're going to care if something happens right. or like if they damage, you know, well, we damage trailers all the time. Yeah. And so call me, Hey, we just totaled the trailer. Hey, okay. Is, you know, someone, okay. What would we need to do? Yeah. You know, they need to have that trust in me instead of the worst thing you can do is hide something from me. That drives me nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but implementing that cult. Like, so what are some things that you've done? You know, I know that like you have, you have, but is there like meetings and like, how do you keep that culture going? Because there's one way of like having a culture and you know, it's more than just coffee in the break room, or energy drinks in the right. break room. It's especially in the tech world. The tech is just unbelievable. Like I've been, we've been looking for offices and we've gone into a lot of these tech centers that are, yeah. you know, they're moving up or whatever happened or something going out of business yeah, yeah. and you go there and I'm just like, wow, like I want to work here. Yeah. You know, there's like candy machines everywhere and ping pong tables and pool yeah. tables and half court basketball court or something. I mean, this is, it's crazy, but there's so much more to culture than that. You know, what, what, how, how have you been able to be so successful at that in tech? Because I know for people, you know, it's really important. Yeah. No, I think for us, it uh, you know, it's interesting because when I went when I went to Microsoft, when I got recruited to Microsoft, I was getting recruited by Google at the same time. Really, and so you know, went to the Google campus, did some interviews with them because they were doing some stuff in health too, and Microsoft was doing some stuff in health, and they weren't really sure. And I was sitting in this weird spot where I worked for a tech company that was also a healthcare company, and so they they were both in that kind of recruitment space, and so I I interviewed with both organizations before I made the decision to go to Microsoft. And the Google experience, like they're culture kings, right? right? But it's very much a like when you're Google, you're Google, and, right? And it's changed a bit since then. But at that point of time, it was like you know you, you come to Silicon Valley, you live here, you're at the office for twenty hours a day, right? If you want to sleep right. in the hallway, you sleep in the hallway. Like a very interesting culture, right? I think for us, especially kind of post pandemic. Uh, building a culture where you respect the work-life balance that people have is really kind of key for us. Right. Right. Like we all enjoy kind of being outside and that's something that we, you know, kind of connect on and, and associate to. I mean, I'm a capitalist at the end of the day. Right. right. I want revenue up and I want the company running efficiently. I want to make money. I want to make money for my investors. I want to have another big exit. Right. That's the plan. Right. But I want people that are balanced in their lives, not killing themselves. Right. And I think in tech specifically, especially in startups, we run into, you know, issues where you have employees that want to prove themselves so much at a certain point that it creates difficulties in the environment because you have, you know, coders or developers or whatever the case might be that are kind of solely focused on, look, I'm going to put in the more hours I put in, the more valuable I'm going to be to the organization. Right. And that's not necessarily always the case. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's important to have that. How have, how have you been able to balance a work-life balance? Cause I know, I mean, you're the one starting them up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, got, you got amazing kids, you know, met yeah. up, hung out with them all. I Thank mean, you. Yeah. They're good kids. Yeah. I'm fortunate from that perspective for sure. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I have failed at that miserably in the past, right. Where I've definitely take my career first and that's been my priority. Uh, I think in the course of time and maturity, I've recognized how important it is to make sure that I'm not at work all the time, or I'm not available all the time, right. Or I do take time out of my day to say, Hey, look, you know, this is one-on-one -on -one time I'm going to spend with one of the kids right. or a friend or whatever the case might be, right? right. To, to, to achieve that balance. And that's a conscious effort that, because, you know, I'm the type of mentality and the type of personality that like, if I get stuck on something, I'm just going to stay there. Right. right. I'll zone everything else out. And so I consciously have to be like, Hey, you know, I've been sitting at the desk for eight hours trying to crank through this it's time to go do something else. Right. right. And that makes me a better manager. That makes me a better leader. makes me a better dad. makes me a better friend. Right. When I check myself out like that. For sure. No, I, I was actually uh, up skiing with my daughter today and I was just, I, I didn't, I got two runs on the bunny hill, but I'm <laughs> like, you know, I haven't, I've been, um, you know, I've been one time since 2016 and yeah. my one time was back in 2020. Yeah. Um, I went up, with my daughter last year, but I would just, you know, when they had a little magic carpet thing at snow base and I'm just walking behind her, you know, with the little rope or running in front of her, trying to catch her. She, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I never really strapped it on and, and went up and, and did the thing. I forgot how therapeutic that is. Yeah. For sure. And I almost forgot how much I needed, you know, I'm thinking, you know, on the way on the drive down when the beautiful, you know, views of everything down a trapper's loop from snow basin in Utah, I was literally thinking like, man, when do I take, when do I ever take time for myself? Because 
like me and Mikel were, I won't say we were arguing. We were debating whether I should buy a season pass or not. Yeah. And you know, 200 bucks a day. And I'm like, Mikel, if I go six, seven times, I'm paying for season pass. And she's like, you won't go six or seven times. I literally pulled up my calendar and started counting how many times I could go. And I'm like, I probably can't go five times again. Right. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Like, why am I not saying, okay, like every week or every other week, at least I'm going to take between, you know, nine and 11 or nine and eight. I mean, it's freaking 30 minutes from my house right. and go have Jason time yeah. or go up with a buddy or a client or say, Hey, let's just go up there and spend some time together where I can just chill and relax. And, yeah. you know, for my personality, the weekend is not going to be that for me. Every, you know, people could argue, Hey, go during the weekend, whatever. Busy, mm -hmm. miserable snowboarding is not Jason's cup of tea or yeah. anything. You know, I don't <laughs> like to go like my, my version of relaxation is not going to a crowd or not going to, to, you know, things that are busy because yeah. like, you know, talk about mental health. I do have like a level of anxiety when that happens. Like yeah. I'm the, I'm the personality that if we're going to the jazz before I had like a parking pass and VIP stuff to the jazz, I would map how long it was going to be there. Like, like 10 times a day to figure out, like <laughs> I had just the stupid level of anxiety, but that's yeah. just me. Right. Yeah. And you know, I was coming down the, the trapper's loop today and I'm like, man, like we, I need to do this for a team. Yeah. You know, we, we talk about it a lot and like we, but we, we get in this grind, right. Especially for this year end push. And we've been doing a lot of things and updating a lot of things, initiatives that are going to launch on Tuesday Yeah, because we have to observe new year's on Monday because yeah. we at least got to have a day off. Right. <laughs> right and that's right. not going to, it wouldn't be a holiday. We got to get day those off. days off. Right. And I'm just like, man, I, I need me time. Yeah. And like, I, I, I do go to the gym, but that's more of like a maintenance thing for my, my, my mental health. But yeah. it's so important to have that family time and that, that, that you time to be able to, to recharge. Cause there really is a real thing. And the crazy thing about it is there are so many CEOs and owners and, and team leaders or whatever you want to call people that do that, but they have zero expectation of that or zero, zero empathy for their team. Yeah. Right. Their employees are like, well, you know, you know, you can't take an hour off early to go to your daughter's dance recital. Like why? You know, then they yeah. see them on Instagram and Facebook all over the world going on their, you know, their plane or whatever. And always going to the dance and always being there and always yeah. going here and there. But like in my eyes, and this is just me, like people can totally disagree with me and I'm sure I'll get hit up about this. <laughs> um, but it's like, you know, so, so for instance, I don't know, I'm going on a tangent. You know, I had a, an interview with our HR generalist. Now she's our director of HR. She's phenomenal. Probably one of the best human beings in the world. Yeah. And, you know, her biggest thing was like, hey, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I, I just, I got it. I, she hadn't worked for a long time. She worked for a very large uh, clinic with over uh, 1,200 practitioners. Yeah. And she was the director of HR over this whole um, company, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And then she had left for a little bit and kind of did a little bit more part-time. Um, and then she hadn't worked for a little bit and then she wanted to come back to work. And she lives like right next to our office. And so she's like, oh, this would be a good opportunity. Yeah. And her biggest thing was like, you know, hey, I want to get off or have to get off like a three o'clock, you know, to go get my girls and go take them to dance because their dance is kind of far away. Yeah. And, you know, I just don't really think that I'm I'm going to be the right fit for the job. I'm like, no, you're the perfect fit of the job. Yeah. You, you value your girls. I value my daughter the same way. And then yeah. we started talking about dance. I'm like, my daughter's in it too. You're not going to see me on Thursday afternoon because she's got dance at nine, dance at 10. Yeah. She's got tumbling at four. I'm there. You yeah. know, I, I try to, you know, go around it and sometimes I don't go to it all the time. Um, but I was like, oh yeah, all I ask is like, maybe you have your phone on in case, you know, a employee gets run over by a truck that we yeah. can, they can call you. And she's like, oh yeah, that's no problem. I'm like, and she's like, I'll take my laptop. Hey, no, like at the end of the day, like I'm kind of like, I'm a cat. As long as there's revenue, as long as right. we're winning, you know, I know yeah. my HR is going to kill me and, and, you know, everything's going to kill me, but I'm like, <laughs> I don't care if you're in Tahiti, right? right? Like as long as we're winning, as long as we're making it happen, yeah. then why do I care about, you know, anything else you're doing i know if you start to fail and there starts to be like right. a huge then we have to have that conversation which is easy but it, it, it's you know what i value i want everybody else to value and like we have our culture cards and i don't know if i've ever showed you my culture card in my wallet so i'll show you that after we have culture cards in our in our wallets that say our values on them yeah and i'm like one of them's family well that's not our family in the group that's your family i want you to value your family so i was like you're the perfect fit well, that's the most important thing right in most cases that's why people are at work right right is right. to take care or provide for their family. And so I, I'm the same way, right? Like if I talk to any of my employees and they're like, hey, you know, I got to run to this or I got to go to dance or I got to go to soccer. I'm like, go. Like there's nothing that's urgent that's going to like, there's no fire right now, right. right? I know how to get a hold of you if I need you. Go take care of that. That's way more important than whatever we're doing. Right. And, right. you know, it's kind of different, like, you know, a lot of them are like technicians and shops and, you know, different yeah. different things like that. But like just plan it accordingly. Like every, every manager knows that that's a value. So they know like, hey, you know, yes and no. Like if you're taking, you know, back to back to back to back vacations right. and you're all like, that's just, you know, it's different conversation. But, yeah. 
you know, if it's an hour here, hour there, or like, you know, kids graduation, like, I, like growing up, like it, that was, you know, it was kind of normal for kids, parents to not be there if right. it's something like, you know, before 5 p.m. And, you know, it was like, and now this world, especially post pandemic, like yeah. you're talking about, it's just the world has changed so much and it's gone so virtual and gone yeah. so, but, but I think that, you know, and, and I don't ever want the mentality of people thinking that everybody gets a trophy and like a, a good culture for the lack of a productive and winning culture. You know, we, you right. can still have a good culture, but at the end of the day, like you have to have the revenue and pay the bills. So we have yeah. to have that expectation. But I think having a good culture with that expectation of winning is an even higher level culture instead yeah. of like, oh, we have a great culture and, you know, we really care about anything, but we have a good culture. Like it just, yeah. it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. I think the pandemic kind of checked that down. Right. right? It shifted a, the way, it obviously shifted the way people work. It shifted the the way people approach work. I mean, we see that, you know, ad nauseum at this point. Right. Uh, I think again, you know, pendulum swift, right? Like we went all the way from one end of this, the pendulum to the other with pandemic I think creating a balance somewhere in the middle of the two is For sure. probably the best work culture. Yeah. And, and it's norm now to do like a team's meeting or a zoom. That, yeah, that's perfectly it, normal. I understand it. And it, it, as an ex like telehealth guy where I was like, Hey, yeah. see your doctor on your phone. Right. Right. And now we're, you know, three years later and everything's on zoom and I'm just like, Oh, not another zoom. Right. right. Like I got to put a dress shirt on, right. You know, over my basketball shorts on the bottom. Right. right. Well, so, yeah, yeah. I even think like that. Well, and you know, at least in our, like, world you know been in is uh like a lot of that like dress you know it was yeah. funny so I, I public speak a lot of these different conferences like you know i, I know you do too yeah and uh, like our circle and group of people is it's not necessarily the clothes that you you know have it's the shoes and you know when i <laughs> used to shoe speak guy. yeah oh, i'm a huge shoe guy yeah um and it's not you know i got my my uh, my louis vuitton rojavos right behind <laughs> you right there yeah. they're art pieces sitting up there um but uh you know when i was first starting out in my network marketing days, it was this, the most flyest suit, the sickest, yeah, you know, yeah. no one really cared about your dress shoes, but it was then how was the suit looking on you? What's the color, the shine. And yeah. then all of a sudden it was like a sport coat and jean type of thing, which I still wear all the time. Yeah. And then now it's like, I'll do t-shirt jeans, but what shoes are you wearing? It's right. kind of funny that like, and, and even I've noticed that I guess I never really paid attention to this. Like the NBA, like they don't really wear suits anymore. I'm yeah. like, what yeah, the, the heck? Coaches. COVID, yeah. COVID didn't exist on the, like, <laughs> right. why, why did all of a sudden that like, COVID happen? And we, uh, don't have to wear suits anymore yeah. in the NBA. Like, I don't know, just just I, stupid stuff. But. I struggle because healthcare is still a suit culture, right. right? Like if you go to a conference, 90% of everybody's in a suit. Right? Really? And then you go to a tech conference and nobody's in a suit. Right. And so yeah, you're, you know, you're anytime, dancing I, yeah, anytime yeah. I travel, I'm like, wait, you know, how tech is this conference versus how health is this conference? You For know, sure. what should I be wearing? What's the other guy going to wear on stage? It used to be the standing joke because I don't like the ask other guys what they're going to wear to certain activities. Right. I'm right. just like, I'm a guy, I do my own thing. Right. Right. But, uh, yeah, I've been caught a couple of times. So like, yeah. oh, what should I wear? What are you wearing? Are you wearing right. like slacks? Is this a slacks thing? Are we jeans? What are right. we You're trying to go on like Instagram and be like, okay, what was this last year? <laughs> right. oh, these pictures? Yeah. What does business casual really translate to? Right. Now, right. Right. But, but I think that people like, you know, post pandemic, we, we, and it's really, that's really changed a lot of, yeah. You know, I guess like the physical culture of a, of a lot of companies is we've realized how productive we could be via Zoom, phone calls, yeah. you know, re call it remote. And then how like a lot of little things that we thought didn't really matter. Yeah. You know, like it, it's an interesting uh, society. And even like in Utah, like, you know, we've, we've gotten pretty laxed on like our expectations of what people look like, you know, yeah. before the beards were a thing and then tattoos and piercings. And like now, like, yeah. you know, I remember going to restaurants and you really literally could not have a, a tattoo showing in a restaurant. Now you go there and like people are always, you know, I, I wouldn't get hired, but, uh, you know, now I'm like, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, I think we're realizing like people can be productive and, and it's all about that culture. Like what yeah. culture you, you're wanting to create. And I know like, you know, people have different opinions, which are perfectly fine. And I, I'm a, of the opinion that you have, you can you know, without crossing boundaries as you can hire anybody you want to or not hire anybody you yeah. want to, whatever you feel the best fit for your company is, um, you know, we're blessed. We're in Utah. It's a, it's a right to work state, but, yeah. um, you know, I, you know, as, as a, as a capitalist person, I believe that, you know, you're, it's, you own it. Yeah. And you, you can kind of essentially do whatever you want to do. Um, but it's just been, it's been, it's been actually cool to watch because, you know, I was using zoom back in the network marketing days and people were like, wait, what I got to do. And especially right. with the older generation and now everybody's got it downloaded everybody knows what's going on. Most, yeah. most things are done via, via remote, but it's just that creating that culture and it, and it's really difficult. I'm not going to lie of creating a really good culture, hundred percent remote. Yeah. That's why we, you know, we we have an office right now and I love it. And like, you're right. We went one 
you know, from no zoom to yeah. only zoom. And now we're really trying to find that balance of, of, uh, of all that. Yeah. It's funny. Cause we, uh, so we had our telehealth company, true clinic back in the day when we got acquired by InTouch, they wanted all of us to move to Santa Barbara and we were a virtual company already. You know, like we had right. an office here in Salt Lake with a handful of employees, but everything else was virtualized. Our development team was in Belarus. Our tech team was in New York, right? We were in Salt Lake. So we were pretty right. virtual already. And so when we got acquired, we're like, no, nah, that doesn't make any sense. Like we're literally asking people to connect over the phone via video for their most important thing, which is their healthcare visits. Why, why can't we do that for work? Right. right? It's work. And so now it's, you know, completely other end of side. So we're a hundred true or a patient genie is completely virtualized. Right. right? So Austin, uh, Alex is in Austin. We're based in Austin. My development team is in New York. Uh, the the other development teams scattered all over Eastern Europe, right? We're completely virtualized. Right. It it is it is a lot cheaper. I would say leases nowadays, or we've been going through offices. And I'm not paying this. You yeah. Know? And then we're you know we're thinking about building. Construction costs are crazy. And then you yeah. go into a building and TIs are nuts. And it's u- uber competitive. So no you know landlord wants to do any TIs right, right. now. It's a, it's just crazy. So, um, but man, I just really appreciate you being on here. This yeah, has been a, been a fun you know hour now. Last thing I want to ask you is, what does success mean to you? Yeah, good question. Uh, I think for me, uh, a couple of different things. So one is getting myself and my kids to a position where they're just, they're good, right? right. Whatever good means to, to them and to me. And, and, and that's the key piece. I think that's, that's from an economic perspective. That's, that's one of the things that I would deem successful. Right. Um, you know, I started my foundation, which is, uh, you know, kind of my legacy company. That'll be the company that gets left to the kids, um, you know, that, uh, that focuses that. on how do we do better? Right. Right. Like how do we, you know, help people that maybe aren't as fortunate? Uh, you know, how do we position ourselves in a way to help out those individuals that at least uh, at this point we're focused on mental health. So, you know, if there's kids or, um, preteens, adults that, you know, maybe are underinsured or uninsured, how can we help them get the mental health that they need? Right. Um, and, and have costs not be a mitigating factor for that. Cause I, I mean, we're a first world country. I, I, I still struggle with why that's even an issue at this point in this right. country. It's, uh, it's unreal. So success for me is uh, eventually would be to grow the foundation to a point where it's completely self-sustained um, and has longevity in that sustainment. Um, you know, and then obviously, you know, personally, like, you know, raise good people, right? right. Be good people, raise good people. I love that. Yeah. that's awesome man well hey i really really appreciate you being on here it's yeah, been, of a, course. been a really fun talk so appreciate you man yeah thanks appreciate it